Turning then in our Bibles once again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, looking at the paragraph which we read this evening, verses 13 to 18, and thinking together about departed believers. Perhaps you were a late developer, some of us are, and nothing wrong with that. However, despite the lateness of your development in academic studies or in your settled career, you have become a high achiever. At your graduation, perhaps in your 40s or your promotion to partner in your firm, you celebrated that wonderful event with a meal out with your whole family, perhaps in the Merchant Hotel. It was a wonderful evening of love, of celebration and success. The hard work was all done and you felt a tremendous sense of achievement and rightly so. It was definitely a a night to be remembered by you and your family. The taster menu in the Merchant Hotel was beautiful. But it was the presence of your family that really made the evening for you. But you had one regret. That your grandfather was not there. He was such an encourager to you, an inspiration in your life through the challenges of your journey. But he missed out on witnessing and celebrating your success. And missing out is the underlying concern of this paragraph in Thessalonians 4. Beloved believers in the young congregation have since died and the concern of some believers is that those departed believers have missed out on the glorious future of Christ's people. Paul, Silas and Timothy, as we know by now, had to leave the city of Thessalonica in a rush. They did not have time to cover every area of doctrine and practice or anticipate every question that might arise in the life of those believers. Perhaps while they were there, no one died. And so this question of departed believers was never brought up. But like a good pastor, the Apostle Paul had found a way of providing oversight of this young congregation by sending his assistant Timothy back to them. And he's now returned to Corinth where Paul is 200 miles away from Thessalonica with a report about the congregation. And in his report, this issue of the condition of departed believers, believers who have died before the second coming of Jesus was a concern to the congregation. The main concern of the members is unclear in this paragraph, but there seems to be surprise among them that believers have died before their Savior Jesus has returned. Some of the questions that might be included in their concern might have been, what is the current state of those departed believers? Will departed believers now miss out on the second coming glory of Jesus? Will their bodies remain in the grave and will they exist as disembodied spirits forever? 
Will departed believers be in an inferior place in heaven to believers who are alive when Jesus returns? This is the issue about departed believers that is addressed in this tremendous paragraph. And it speaks right into our congregation at this time, doesn't it? Two members have lost a believing grandparent recently. Many members here have lost believing loved ones. We all know of departed believers. Perhaps we too have questions about their present condition and what their condition will be at the second coming of Jesus. Have they missed out in some way on the glorious return of our Saviour? And Lord. There are three points made in this paragraph about departed believers that assure all of us that they have not missed out. We're thinking of the security of departed believers, of the priority of departed believers, and of the unity of departed believers. The security of departed believers. Read with me again verse 14. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The phrase will bring with him emphasizes the security of departed believers. It assures us that they will participate in the second coming glory and majesty of Jesus. Bring with him refers to the return of Jesus from heaven to earth. He will not make that journey as a lone ranger as he did when he came to earth the first time. He will make that momentous journey at his second coming accompanied by all the souls of departed believers God will bring with him. They will not be left abandoned, forsaken, neglected in heaven when Jesus returns in glory to judge and transform the believers on earth. They will come with him to be reunited with their bodies in the final resurrection of the dead. Thus, believers who have died will not be forgotten at the glorious return of Jesus. They will not be treated as second-class believers, but they will have a glorious future. The assurance of their participation in this event is the experience of Jesus, our Savior, in verse 14. He died and was then reunited with his body three days later at his resurrection. See verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, all of Christ's people joined to him by faith will experience the very same journey of death The separation of their soul and body for a time. But then the reuniting of their soul and body 
in the resurrection. Two images in this paragraph are used by the Apostle Paul to illustrate and to confirm the veracity of the experience of departed believers at the last day. One image is of a master summoning those under his authority. This image is found in the phrase, a cry of command, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. This phrase refers to Jesus summoning the disembodied spirits of believers after him as he leaves heaven to come to earth. The phrase, a cry of command, was used to describe a hunter summoning his hounds or a charioteer motivating his horses around the arena or an officer calling for his soldiers to assembly on the parade ground from their barracks or a cox appealing to the rowers in her boat to pull on the oars together. It is the voice of summons to follow to accompany, to commence a fresh mission, a new experience or journey. And what an image this phrase is of Jesus commanding all the glorified spirits of believers to gather at his heels as hounds at the heels of the hunter and to descend in triumph from heaven to be reunited with their bodies in the glorious and triumphant Resurrection. The second image is that of sleep. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Verse 14. Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Verse 15. Will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The word sleep occurs then three times in this passage and describes the state of departed believers. This image does not mean that departed believers are unconscious, inactive, or unaware of their surroundings. The book of Revelation describes departed believers as engaging fully and unceasingly in the worship of God around the throne of heaven. But the term sleep here refers to departed believers resting from their work on earth. As we in sleep rest from our work on earth. And they await the wakening of their bodies in the final resurrection. It's a common metaphor used in scripture for the state of departed believers Jesus used it in his ministry of Jairus' daughter and the apostles used it of Stephen, the first martyr. The term implies safety and protection. When King Saul slept, his his bodyguard Abner looked after him. When you and I sleep, our windows are closed, our doors are locked. So God is caring for departed believers. 
The constant care of the believer in this life described in Psalm 121. God our carer never slumbers or sleeps. Carries on after this life in the presence of God. Thus these two images. A cry of command. And sleep. Assure us of the safety of believers who are departed. It's important for us to note that there is a contrast in the way the death of Jesus is described here in verse 14. It's a striking contrast, isn't it? Jesus died. But believers are those who have fallen asleep. Jesus experienced death in its unmitigated power and horror so that believers can experience death weakened and transformed by the resurrection of Christ. The security of departed believers Secondly, the priority of departed believers. Look at verse 15 and 16b, which shows the priority given to departed believers in the final resurrection and second coming. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will rise first. In these verses, Paul continues to address the concern of the congregation that departed believers will miss out on the future glory and transformation of believers at the second coming of Jesus. Here Paul insists that they will be at the very forefront of events. The dead in Christ will rise first. Before Living believers are transformed. Before unbelievers are judged, the bodies of believers will be resurrected. The focus at the last day, at the second coming, Paul assures us here, will not be on living believers, but on departed believers. The dead in Christ will rise first. And to emphasize this point of the priority of departed believers at the second coming of Jesus, the apostle states that this event of the resurrection will not be quiet or hidden. It will be loud and public. It will not be back alley, but city square. Not lowercase, but uppercase. Not footnote, but headline event. It will be surrounded by great pomp. The attention of all the universe will be summoned to witness this event. Every created being will stop what they are doing and witness the final resurrection of departed believers. This will be the only show in town on that day. It will not be secret or quiet, but accompanied, verse 16, by the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God 
This noise will reverberate through the whole universe, just as you and I run outside, perhaps, or maybe just me, when we hear the noise of a helicopter or a jet flying over our house or the town, so the focus of all the world will be on the resurrection of departed believers. Boys and girls, it's great having you here tonight, and uh, one year, and I recommend your parents take you on this jolly sometime, walking the West Highland Way from Glasgow to Fort William, about 84 miles, but there's some really nice places to stay. If they suggest staying in a tent, uh, you say, no, no, there's, there's lovely accommodation uh, all along the road. Uh, but one of the places to stay uh, is towards the end, if you're going towards uh, Ben Nevis at the end, there's an hotel at the end, or the mouth of Glencoe. And this hotel's in one of those big valleys, and there's massive mountains on either side. And the, the RAF, they train their pilots down those valleys. So we were staying in uh, that hotel. And here, you'd be getting down for, for a sleep, and the next thing, this jet would be shaking the building. And you, I kept running outside to see this thing 30 feet above, above the building. And that's what it's going to be like at the last day. The voice of an archangel that will be heard throughout the earth. The sound of the trumpet of God and everyone will put down what they're doing. They will focus on this supernatural, glorious, outstanding, majestic return of Jesus Christ. And Paul keeps saying here at the very center of that majestic event will be departed believers they will rise first. They're not going to miss out. They're not going to be peripheral. They're not going to be forgotten now, and they won't be forgotten then. The trumpet often accompanied God's coming to this earth at Mount Sinai, particularly in Exodus 19, the long blast of the trumpet accompanied the presence of God. And so it will be at the last day, the resurrection of the bodies of departed believers by the power of Jesus will be spectacular, the foremost and glorious act of God in that day. And all focus will be not on the church militant being transformed, but on the church triumphant being resurrected. The apostle here is careful to assure us that he's not speculating on this incredible point. He's not guessing. He's not fantasizing at this point. But this very point, he says in verse 15, is a word from the Lord. This is exactly how it's going to be. As no direct mention is made of this point in the recorded teaching of Jesus in the Gospels, we're to understand this statement as referring perhaps to oral tradition, that is teaching of Jesus passed down by the apostles to the church, which he gave but is not included in the Gospel accounts, or that it refers to direct revelation from the Lord Jesus to the Apostle Paul at this point to answer this question emerging in the young church at Thessalonica, it's the word of the Lord. Have you ever had priority boarding on a plane? Maybe you've not had it, but you've been standing there for 50 minutes and you've witnessed it. Maybe someone with a wheelchair, someone with a friend with learning difficulties, they're allowed to board first. 
everyone else waiting for the plane will get on that same plane and they will arrive at the same destination. But before they do, they will all watch the priority borders first. And so departed believers, and what a comfort this is for the bereaved. They will be resurrected first. and will be watched by all. And we learn from this point, don't we, that our body is important to God. He made us in the beginning, body and soul. Maybe you consider the resurrection of the body here to be a restriction, a step back, a step down for departed believers. There they are tonight, perfectly happy and blessed in their spirits before the throne of God. They're free from all the limitations of our bodies. So is uniting the spirit of departed believers not a step down for them, a step back for them? Is it not like an imprisonment, an attaching of handcuffs to be embodied again? But the key point here for us in the resurrection of departed believers, as it is in every area of our lives, is that this event is not about us, but about the glory of God. Death is a badge, it's a symbol. It's a tattoo of the triumph of sin and Satan over us. Though death was God's punishment on sin, every death and the death of every believer is like another win for the opposition. And so, at the last day, all departed spirits will be summoned out of heaven and their Their dead bodies will be resurrected to visibly show the triumph of Jesus over sin, over Satan, to the glory and victory of God. And by extended logic and application, our every victory over sin now each day is important to God. Our every act of obedience to him and not to Satan is precious to him. Every time we say no to sin and yes to Jesus, we please God and we glorify his son. Thirdly, the unity of departed believers. Read with me verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. To counter any suggestion of inferiority or sidelining, the apostle provides this third evidence of departed believers sharing in the glory of the second coming of Jesus. Total church unity in meeting Jesus together with them. The events of the last day are as follows. The bodies of departed believers will be resurrected. The bodies and souls of living believers will be transformed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52. We shall not all sleep, 
But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And then both groups, the parted believers, resurrected and transformed living believers, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The united group of resurrected and transformed will ascend from earth to meet the Lord Jesus hovering in the sky, glorious, exalted, far above all. Neither group will precede the other, but together they will join the Lord who has descended. It won't be like teams who run onto the pitch at different times. The away team first and then the home team second. The away team with the the minimal applause. The home team coming out with the the rupturous applause. There will be no priority, no advantage, no preference, but total unity as both groups together are lifted from earth to join their saviour in the air. We have a thing about attending functions on our own. We prefer to go with friends, someone to sit with and to talk to. So in the last day, we will have company. Resurrected, departed believers, transformed, living believers, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, together with the Lord. And notice two details about this event the location and the type of meeting. The word meet refers to a royal reception, a formal meeting. This is not a hookup for coffee in the local Tim Hortons or bumping into someone accidentally in the street. This is a planned meeting. When the groom, the Lord Jesus, will meet his glorious bride, the church. We will join him in his glory, separated from the wicked, and we will assist him in judging the world. If a delegation of officials went from the city of Thessalonica and went to Rome, they would officially meet, that's the word here, meet the emperor. It would be official. It would be royal. Dignitaries would be there. It would be organized and planned. So this united group of believers will officially, formally, meet the Lord Jesus. We will join him in his exalted position and work. The second detail is the location of this meeting in the air. Victory over an opponent is satisfying, isn't it? But it's even more satisfying when it occurs at their home ground. Our ladies hockey team beat Balamoni on Friday evening 10-1. If that happened in Ards, nice, but it happened in Balamoni. We'll not mention the Scotland-England game, okay? You get the point here, all right? The location adds to the significance of the victory. It highlights the convincing nature of it. And this is the point here. The glorious reunion between Christ and his glorified church will happen in the air. The air is considered in the Bible as the abode of demons and the realm of Satan. Ephesians 2 verse 2. Satan is described as the prince of the power of the air. 
There is described as Satan's domain, his home turf, his backyard, Satan and demons in the air, attacking humans, attacking cities, attacking earth. But in that very spot, the meeting of Christ and his glorified church, the triumph of Jesus will occur. Jesus and his people will be seen to be total victors over Satan and sin and the demons in their very realm. And this prominent place of in the air will enable everyone to witness it. Angels will look down at this meeting and rejoice. Unbelievers will look up and tremble. Departed believers will be at the very heart of this glorious spectacle, this revealing of the sons of God, as Romans 8, 19 describes. So the apostle in this paragraph, he he offers out this comfort to us as we mourn the loss of departed believers, their security, their priority, their unity. There are two responses to this teaching which are indicated in this passage One is, sorrow not, sorrow not, verse 13, that you may not grieve. The statement does not promote a stoical attitude to death. The meaning here is that we are to grieve departed believers, but not in a hopeless manner. The dominant view of death in the first century was annihilation. Death was the absolute end of a person they believed. So death was accompanied by great wailing and hopelessness. The loved one was believed to have gone forever. But that is not the case. Departed believers will be reunited with their believing loved ones. And such a hope mitigates our grief. Three times the apostle states that departed believers sleep They rest from their labors, but they will be resurrected. They are being cared for now, but they shall be reunited with their bodies, and we shall be reunited with them at the resurrection. My parents used to give a spoon of medicine and then a spoon of syrup, the sweet to counter the bitter. And so our hope of the future glory of believers and our reunification with them in Christ Jesus mitigates our current loss. Last night we spoke to the young people about Jim Elliot here in the church. Jim Elliot died at age 29, killed by the Aucas tribe out in Ecuador. On the very night of his wife Elizabeth learning Of his death at the age of 29, she wrote these words. The Lord has closed my heart to grief and hysteria and filled them with his perfect peace. The second application is comfort one another in verse 18. Encourage one another. Sometimes this paragraph has been a battleground for eschatological views. We've wrestled with our premillennial friends over their views of this passage. But this is not the main point of this passage. It's to comfort us, our believing loved ones, whom we have buried in weakness, will rise again in glory and live in the presence of Jesus. 
and in our presence for all eternity. Grief is complex. But these words of the apostle help and assure. If you're not yet a Christian, you might be asking, well, is there a word here for me as well? The word here for you is that there is no word for you. Nothing is said here about the future of unbelievers. They will not participate in this glorious resurrection and future described here. The key phrase in verse 16 is those who are in Christ. Those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ and are so united to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. They will experience this glorious future. And so we appeal to you. We urge you. We pray for you. However young you are, however old you are, to come to Jesus Christ and look forward by faith and assurance to this glorious future.